0: welcome to change nation today's episode is with someone who i deeply admire trust respect and every time i meet him i'm completely inspired by him so how's that for a little mini introduction if you are a business person, if you have a small business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about ways to either improve your business or maybe even start a business, this episode is definitely for you. My guest today is Andy Stefanovic. He is probably someone who is the most inspiring, innovative, creative business mind that I have personally met today. So with that introduction, Andy, no it's
1: welcome to the show. <laughs> no pressure. Only my mom could give a better intro. Well, Thank
0: you, you know, we're part of the family. Thanks. So Andy, for people who are in small businesses right now, right. who are struggling, right. what is the ingredient that's missing? If you're like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to just spend a few hours with a small business, what, what do you look for and what do you typically find is missing?
1: Yeah, I would say the two two things just come to mind in terms of a small business. A lot of times it's context to what they're actually selling, proposing, offering to the world, and making sure that they're really dialed in on being contextually relevant to what the consumer, their audience, their audience is walking in for and looking for every day. Sometimes it can be one or two degrees off, which is a massive difference in terms of a lot of sales, a little sales, or no sales. And then I think the other one is just um, a real eye towards the bigger big, and the bigger big being what am I really doing this for? I'm doing this because I want to provide a real value and contribute to the world as the world spins. I want to be a community leader. I want to give time towards something that I care for and can be my own. So keeping an eye on the thing that's a little bit bigger than the P&L, the bank reports, and that cash register sales every day, and looking at what you're doing for that young person that you're developing behind the cash register or in retail or what you're doing for them in terms of developing them. And If you keep an eye on the context of what you're doing and how tied in you are to the world and being just ever so delicate and nuanced around doing that in a better way. And then secondly, um, having a really good eye towards, or just a little bit of an eye, at least a few minutes a day towards, this is about something bigger than what I'm really working on right now. I think those are two things that keep people fulfilled, inspired, and keep the, keep the juice alive.
0: So Andy, you've worked with thousands of businesses. Can you give me a, an example? specific example of a company you've worked with who was going through a certain set of yeah. challenges and that you really managed to sort of turn around, put back on track.
1: Yeah, I think a great, a great one is, a, is an interesting retailer, actually, Bass Pro. And Bass Pro does outdoor fishing and hunting and, and, and a whole myriad of other things now. But um, Stan Lippelman is a good friend of mine. He was formerly with a whole host of other companies and now he's the CMO of Bass Pro. And we talked in about jet, I'm sorry about August, September of last year when the crisis was just on the cusp of, a, of occurring. You could feel it was palpable in the air. And he said retailing this year for the holiday season is going to be dismal. It's going to be a time when retailers are taking back, when they're taking things off the shelves, when they're really kind of looking at inventory and decreasing their opportunities there and just really looking at taking away from the consumer as opposed to what retailers should be doing during the holiday season is giving. And Stan really called me, and, and the genius was his him. It was nothing I did or, or my organization did, but really I was a sounding board. And he said, Andy, what if I were to really give back during this holiday season and do something in the con- complete counterintuitive? And he was having an eye on the bigger big. And the bigger big was that retailers weren't going to be taking away. Retailers are such a major part of the holiday season in terms of just the ethos of it. So he wanted to give. And so in the Bass Pro, Bass Pro parking lots around the country, he put santa and he put a sleigh and he put reindeer and he put gifts and he put hot chocolate and cookies and there were on average 500 people in each bass pro parking lot on the evening it launched because the world was feeling a bit of suffering the retailers were a place that they could get a little bit of reprieve and a little bit of joy and so he gave to them and in the spirit of commercialization and capitalism um, that might have been one reason he gave, but the real reason he gave is because he felt as if the world needed a little bit of something and the retailer could offer that. In that capitalistic, commercial way, it did come back to benefit him five and six times. Mm. His suppliers, his, um, s- the entire stakeholder um, supply chain and then his consumer all saw Bass Pro very differently and it has ensued in into 2009 and going into 2010. One of the few retailers that really kind of cracked through the code. And he inspired people. And he gave something when you didn't think you should be giving but taking. Hmm.
0: To entrepreneurs who are, they've been challenged. They, maybe their revenues have dried up. They might have lost their passion. They might have lost their inspiration. What would
1: you tell them? To entrepreneurs? To an entrepreneur. To an entrepreneur. Um, I think... Uh, It gets around continual change, and continual change is through the lens of two things, I think. And continual change is when you talk about being dried up and really kind of being less inspired and a little bit less tapped to what it was all about earlier on and you're a little bit kind of wondering and wondering and wondering, um, I would say that it boils down to two things. One of them is authenticity and the other one is just passion. And if you really do truly kind of access those two things at a more rigorous, dedicated, intentional level, there's a new, renewed something. And authenticity is when you are going through the practices in the in the, for example, a small entrepreneur or a big big business, you're looking at your micro, you're looking at your outlook calendar that day and it says you have to do a call with so-and-so. Well, is that call really the thing you should be doing or should you be looking in another direction and doing something that would inspire you? And being authentic to yourself and not just going with the flow of the day-to-day practice of the way the world says it ought to be going and the way that business ought to be telling you what to do every day? Kind of saying stop the madness and saying I'm going to be authentic to who I am because that genesis of what you created came out of the most authentic self. And so if you can get back to that most authentic self in moments of a day, it'll help you calibrate you back on track. And then the other one is just flat-out passion. And I um, was asked many, many years ago from my mother-in-law what my one word was. And it was passion. And she said, why passion? And I could get emotional thinking about it, but my dad instilled passion into me like no other. He was a first-generation immigrant, came over on the boat, found himself in an immigrant community in Indianapolis, no education, no high school, no college, and went on to have a great career at General Motors, and he did it through sheer passion. And passion persuades, and passion persuades is something I've always believed in, and I think that an that a entrepreneur, a small business person, an executive can realize that the passion, if they tap into the passion that makes them tick, in what I call passion and action. So if my passion is, for example, my family is an easy default or you would be a passion from a business crush standpoint, but I talk about soccer. And if I were to break down soccer, it's being outdoor, it's it's international, it's challenging, it's vocal, it's physical. If I can take some of those attributes of what my true passion is of soccer and appropriate that to my day-to-day mm-hmm. business practice, being outdoor, having an international perspective, challenging assumptions, being vocal, and and doing things that align with my passion, I'll get, I'll get further. So authenticity and passion.
0: And I guess, you lead right into my next question, are those two things that have a ripple effect on a team? Like for a CEO even of a bigger business, that's sort of you know, running a company that's under challenging times.
1: Yeah, I would say that my epitaph and my wife would tell you over and over that if I, there were two things I brought to my team and my cult, my community of business influence would be authenticity and passion. Mm-hmm and that I would put that on my epitaph. There's no question. If I had one moment with one executive or one small business owner around a coaching moment, what it would be would be really thinking about their level of authenticity and passion inside of their day-to-day work. And if we can unleash just a little bit more of that out of each person, the world spins better and more healthy. That would be the one place to access.
0: When is it time for a company or a division to pack it up, call it quits? Is there ever a time where you cannot re-energize, cannot find the passion, cannot find the inspiration? Like, what are the signs where it's, oh, it's, wow, it's, a it's ready? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. I mean,
1: my, 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 I, don't, I don't access that, I, that, yeah. that view very easily because I always think there's a way. But yeah. there are moments when um, it is time to, to turn, turn the doorknob and say goodbye.
0: Yeah. It's, it's probably just a gut feeling. Yeah, and
1: I would say gut. I would say that you, when you really have um, exercised... All of, all of the alternatives that you think are deem- that are deemed appropriate and um, meaningful, and that at the end of the day, actually I, could, I can rephrase it, I think that it's time to close up whether it's personal occupation or business kind of entity, is when, you, when, when the, that is taking much more from you and you're not being able to give anything back to it, mm-hmm. that's the time that it's time to probably close the doors or move away from that occupation when you cannot find any way to give back to that thing that is the entity of the, an occupation or a business. You just, if, if it's out in you, you have to move on and find a place where you can put that energy towards something else in order to provide good and provide worth and healthiness.
0: For people who have limited funds and who probably go to the belief of it, well, everything costs money, whether it's something I've got to give, whether it's you know, motivating my team, for people who have limited funds, what are good ways to spend that money is it in marketing when times are tough is it in you know team effort building is it where do you spend the money when it's limited
1: Uh, yeah I'd say make it really personal so it wouldn't be team it'd be individual and so we have something in our organization called radical sabbatical and radical sabbatical is when you go away for a month and spend time and that is a very big investment so on a smaller level we have um, things called daily happiness and daily happiness are things, whether it's $20 or $50 or an hour, um, regardless of time, it could just be hours in the day to go find some inspiration and make it very personal to you. So if you were to hypothetically ask somebody, if you had $5 in an hour, what would you do? someone asked me that question and my answer was I think I'd buy a Gatorade and a Sports Illustrated and sit on a park bench for an hour because that would be really enlightening. I'd be outside, I could be reading about sports which I love, I'd be enjoying one of my favorite beverages and I'd be spending some alone time and so I'd come back after an hour re energized and so for five bucks in one hour that's what I would do. What would you do and what is that thing that would serve as fuel to you to come into the office and say calibrated, seeing things clearly, I'm ready to roll again.
0: One of the terms I've heard you use is positive narration, and you are the epitome of someone who always talks with positive words, positive language, yeah. positive intent. How how do you explain that term to people?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's really interesting. When we were working for an insurance firm in the Midwest, in Chicago, and it's a specialty insurance firm and it's it's a gray city on this day and it's a gray building and it's actuaries running around this big kind of place and I walked in and I asked my associate I said what do you think the narrative is here and they said what do you mean by narrative and I said is the narrative positive negative or neutral and they said it's a negative it's a negative uh, narrative right now and I said what is it that we could do to make a positive narrative? And one of the small things was we went up to the reception desk, and the person said, "Here to see um, how long we'd be here, and are you parked outside? Do you need a parking pass?" And I wanted to say to her, "I'm from Richmond. I'm Andy. I got two kids. I got a wife. I love soccer. I work at this place, and it's beautiful. And I love my teammates. And this is Patty. And hey, how are you? What's your story? And where do you come from? And what's your, what are you all about?" And and disruptive narratives and positive narratives are the ones that can shake and rattle the place. In working with that organization over nine months, nine months later we walked into the same receptionist behind the same place, and that was the interaction because there was this rippling effect of people actually being unleashed. Another example of walking through that business early on was um, you'd walk through cubicles and no one would look up. And there was one woman who had a bowl of candy on her desk and so I walked into her cubicle and said hey I'd love some candy this is the kind of candy my grandma had when she was, when she was um, kind of in her older years and she would always trying to chew on it it wouldn't really work and then she'd say Andy chew on it and enjoy this candy and, and, and I started talking about my grandma and the candy dish in her house in Indianapolis and she said really and, and, and that's what my grandma used to have as candy and that's why I have it here and we connected well that candy dish became symbolic of a positive narrative a, she was reaching out and saying, I've got candy on my desk, come in, but no one was coming in. Well, I was just one person who broke that ice, talked about that story to the executives and the CEOs of this $5 billion company about that woman in cubicle X 3 on floor 12. And the CEO went in and got candy and talked. And they talked about their grandmothers. And that was one of many things that became this rippling effect of creating, over time, a positive narrative. It's one moment, one story, one vignette, one interaction, one passion, one hug at a time that creates real change within a company.
0: And we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back. We're going to get a lot more tips, strategies, inspiring ideas from Andy. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Change Nation. My guest is Andy Stefanovic, a true sort of business expert, leader, visionary in all things that might apply to your business right now, whether you have a small business, big business or whether you're even thinking of starting one. Andy, welcome back. Thanks. Andy, what is the way to bring back fun into a business? I mean, one of the businesses you started is a company called Play, which makes a very strong statement about the fact that, you know, work doesn't have to just be work. How do you re-energize a business where everything right now feels like hard work?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting story. There's a, actually, our business was founded in 1990 in Richmond, and at the same time, oddly enough and ironically enough, there was a company called Work, created about four blocks away. And in the paper, they actually had, would you rather work or play, and it was a real kind of a juxtaposition. And it became a symbol for work and play, and we intentionally named the company Play 20 years ago by virtue of realizing that there was less of that going on in the world. And I think that the easiest way to bring that value into the business place or just that thing, that thing that's so natural to us as people, is to ask, what does it mean for you? Um, it's not uh, the, the tried, the trite, and the expected, and some of the sometimes the, the um, so over over talked about things that people do to be playful, like a team building session or toys or interesting different books on the bookshelf that no one ever reads, but just see as a symbol for someone was trying to make us play by reading an interesting irreverent book, but no one's ever picked it up. And if I do, I'll be chastised as someone who's not being focused in work. It's actually not casting those types of things out in a, in a broad, holistic way, but saying to people, what is it that in, you enjoy? What is it you can bring to, to the work in terms of expressing yourself? And actually play and fun are words that actually have a little bit of a kind of an organ rejection feeling within business. And I think that the name play and the word fun are valuable, but be cautious around how you use them. More, more impactful and maybe more resonating would be express yourself. What's on your mind? What's your story? What are you thinking about? And by virtue of asking someone, "What you thinking?" and, and as you're walking down the hallway, that really does kind of bring about play because when you're asked to express what you're thinking, that is an open-ended question. You can go anywhere you want. You could talk about the movie last night, or the business strategy that's on your mind, or the client that you have in service lately, or the marital problems you're having. But it's where you are, and where you are is exp- when you're asked to asked to express where you are that is liberating and liberating is fun liberating is play liberating is is expressive so make it personal make it very real ask the questions what's your story what are you thinking about what's on your mind how are you a smile a hug a small thing like opening the door those kind of things are play and fun and it's not the trivial things in the conference room like a Nerf ball that actually is symbolic and represents an opposite direction.
0: And another question I get a lot just thinking about people who are in businesses right now is people feel a little stuck on what decision to make. So they're not making a decision and they're kind of in that sort of paralyzed place of if I do this, this might happen. What's a good way to make a good business decision? How do you make good business decisions right now? What yeah. comes in and what doesn't come in?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think you know, Andy Grove at Intel used to fire himself and walk around the building and say, I'm firing myself, I'm gonna walk around the building and decide if I want to rehire myself. And in that hour <laughs> of walking around the campus of Intel, he'd either come back in and say, I'm rehired as chairman and CEO, I'm gonna take control today, or he'd go and spend the day reflecting. And there's, there's that, really asking yourself the question, Am I leading well and and, and am I making the right decisions? The other one is really truly counting on trusted advisors and I don't call them trusted advisors or your board, I call them your personal board of directors. And Someone gave me this lens years ago and they said, who are your personal board of directors, Andy? And I said, well, I have a board of directors, Mm -hmm. which is the people who run and kind of administrate my business, but they said, personally, who are your board of directors? And they said, who are those people that are your loyal oppositions? the people that are fiercely loyal to you, fiercely and unconditionally loyal to you, but always going to give you an opposing and a very alternative point of view. You, Ariana, being one of those for me. <laughs> yeah, very, and you're smiling <laughs> as you know it, because you, you know you're yes. that person to me. Um, as an optimist and as a creative, it's really easy for me to create my way out of things, and I can almost find excuses for creating my way out of things, which is sometimes need to be gut-checked by a loyal opposition, a personal board of directors, someone who just gives you... Who understands how you think, process, and react to the world and get, can give you a counterintuitive point of view on that, but always knowing, you always knowing, that their loyalty is un, un, unabashed? Okay. I would access those people. And what are the three to four to five people that you would make your personal board of directors? Okay. And call them and say, it comes with a big fee, it's a dinner a year. And it's, it's really fun, and it's a great meal, and it's on me, and it's, you know, no, no more than a hundred bucks, but I'm going to make you a personal board of directors, which gives me the right to be able to call you and say, am I thinking about this correctly? And my personal board of directors has been abso- absolutely instrumental and um, valuable through the process of, of, of asking myself the right questions and make good decisions.
0: One of the concepts you talk about that I'd love for you to share is this notion of excelling versus competing. Yeah. I think in business right now, we all think of competition and top 100 lists and you know who's the top competitor. What's the difference between those
1: two words? Oh, it's a massive difference. It's a complete orientation. And when a executive team or an executive or a small entrepreneur or a sole proprietor has a mental shift from I'm competing with the market and competing with a marketplace and I'm competing for share of wallet and share of mine versus I'm excelling and do what I do very well and really concentrating on, on being having an appreciative or almost, almost a Montessori af, a, a approach to it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna focus on the things I really do well and really let that be my avenue toward success. Always, Always with the context of I have an understanding for who those likely competitors will be or people in the similar space, it has a completely and radical different orient for you every day and what could be a negative narrative in terms of I'm not competing very well, I'm losing market share, I'm not staying on the curve within the industry, or I'm doing what I do really well and I'm concentrating that with the consciousness for mm. what's going on in the market and what's going on in the world. It just has a, a difference between a positive narrative and sometimes a negative or a de- deflating narrative. Mm. It, vastly different, it, it, essentially, if you were to ask a client or, or ask a, um, a small business person to an executive suite um, when you have a competing orient versus an excelling orient, what comes to mind? And what, you, what kind of day-to-day behaviors and actions are you doing? And when you have them talk about the excelling orient, you hear that they're doing the things that they know they should be doing every day, as opposed to the competing, which is more of a nervous, more of an anxiety-ridden, more of a downward-sloping narrative, as opposed to an upward-sweeping one for, for change. Mm-hmm. And you can actually just hear them describe that. So I just ask yourself, when you're excelling versus competing, what are you doing different every day? Hmm. And let yourself talk about that, and you'll find in that conversation what you need to find.
0: I know a lot of people don't necessarily want to hear this because it's a negative sort of question, but what do you find businesses are doing wrong right now?
1: Um, what I think they're doing wrong right now is that they're um, listening to the street and they're listening to a few people on the board and they're listening to an executive officer who believes they need to be leading as opposed to following. That's one thing that I think is really important in today's world of um, just change in terms of the business landscape. Followership is is absolutely the new norm for where leadership is going to go and where people are going to gravitate towards a a, a magnet or a beacon. And I think that the companies that are doing it well are using a bottom-up and a very much a cultural kind of um, orient to the change and the growth as opposed to one person, a few people, or the street dictating. Mm -hmm. And when you ask what they're doing wrong, I think they're listening to a few points of view as opposed to the larger population, which really the ideas do reside in. And if you can ask them for their ideas and ask them to engage in those ideas, it all becomes a positive narrative at that point. Mm -hmm.
0: How would you help someone who is not running a company, who's not a CEO, who's not at that level, but wants to affect change, but they, they're not a VP or president or anything? How do you become more of, sort of someone that stands for change within a company uh, without the fear of being too
1: disruptive that they might be fired? Yeah, it's a. Uh, we have a, a coffee shop in my neighborhood in Virginia, and it's called World Cup. And I go in with my family on Saturdays and Sundays, and we get a coffee, and we play in the park adjacent to it. And about a week ago, I was standing, waiting in line, getting a, cafe, a latte for Jill with skim milk and um, two sweetened lows. And uh, I'm, I'm observing a young kid walk, look at the bulletin board. And I walked up to him because he was a, a, a student when I taught at University of Virginia a few years ago. I said, Ben, how are you? What's going on? He said, I've got this entry-level job. I'm only working part-time. The economy's tough. I'm trying to find some other things to do. And I said, so how are you going about that? And he said, I'm looking at bulletin boards. I'm finding just, just topics that I think I could access and bring some value to. And I think just exploring, exploring the different topics and avenues and kind of expressions of where the world needs some change and saying to yourself, I'm going to put some time, a week, towards that and really being dedicated to that and Ben said, I'm going to dedicate, and this was an amazing level of maturity for a 26-year-old gentleman, to say I'm going to dedicate five hours a week for the next six months towards this and see if I can provide some value and and maybe it do some benefit to me as well. But really kind of just scanning and seeing where some place I can put my passion.
0: A lot of businesses right now are laying people off. Yeah, And I know you've laid people off. I certainly have as well, unfortunately. Can you reveal anything about why certain people being laid off versus others other than performance? Are there other things that are sort of
1: part of the equation? Yeah I would say that there's a lean-in versus lean-back mentality and those people that are being laid off and this is a broad generalization are potentially leaning back and waiting for it to happen and kind of going with the norm and kind of expecting it to happen to them as opposed to those people who are leaning in and saying I want to be a part of this conversation and part of this change organizations, executives, small entrepreneurs are looking for anyone that's leaning in and saying I'm in the game, I'm in the conversation, I want to be an active participant as opposed to someone that's sitting back. No room with the efficiency and effectiveness of today's world and how it's changed are there, people for, are, are there for just a whole host of people leaning back. It's the lean-ins that are getting the nod. Very interesting.
0: I'm going to finish off. You've got five seconds to answer these questions. It's what I call our signature
1: questions. Great.
0: Best change you've ever made?
1: Marrying my wife.
0: Hardest change you've ever had to go through?
1: Um, selling my business to profit in December, which ultimately was a great change.
0: The belief that you go to during times of change in your own life? Trust. Wonderful. Well, Andy, what a pleasure. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for just all the tips, all the things that you've revealed to people. I know this comes with 20, 25 years of experience. People just got for free. For more information on you and your work, um, the website is profit.com, And that is spelled? P-R-O-P-H-E-T.com. Wonderful. Thanks, Andy, so much. Absolutely. Thanks for watching. For more interesting interviews, tips, inspiration, ideas, please visit us on the web at changenation.com.